Saturday night 40 here. There was an incredible documentary on Netflix that uh, just dropped and uh, very compelling. And it gives a lot of insights into life. So I, I feel like it's the appropriate level of conspiracy theory, distant thinking versus power and official thinking and, and law enforcement. So it's called Operation Flagrant Foul. It's about that NBA referee who was convicted of betting on games but the real shanda here the real scandal here is how much the nba is manipulating things so michael jordan or lebron james does something and it's not quarter foul but if you're not a big star and you do the exact same move right you get whistled for a foul and also jack donaghy talks about how the nba tries to push uh, final series to seven games and so he, he talks about how the nba is run as a business and it's not necessarily on the up and up so the documentary is called untold operation flagrant foul and uh, a lot of good stuff into it that's applicable Right, but a lot of these people league, you think everything is done based on the rules. How the right, it, things aren't done based on the rules. Right, you, you go into a career, you go into life, and you think, oh, things are going to be done by the rules. There's a rule book. I got an employee handbook. All right, I, I went to Harvard. All right, uh, I I passed the, the bar. Right, things are going to be done by the rules, but things aren't done by the rules alone. All right, there are all sorts of rules that are just situationally enforced. Rules aren't just writing in a book. Right, it takes human beings making decisions about whether or not to enforce rules. So you don't get away from the subjective human factor. Right, you don't get away from human beings making decisions how to enforce laws against whom to enforce laws and who is chosen and who is favored and who is not. So whether it comes to traffic law or business law or accounting law or NBA law, there's a tremendous amount of subjectivity as with any human endeavor. They're written in the rule book. And you quickly learn if you're going to survive, that's not the way things are done. Right. So if you want to survive and thrive as an NBA referee, it's not by following the rules. And this is true for so much of life. You want to thrive as a convert to Orthodox Judaism. It's not primarily about following the rules. If you want to survive and thrive as an attorney, it's not 100% about following the rules. If you want to survive and thrive in love, in business, in, in career, in, in profession, in your community, it's not 100% about following the rules. You have to know what the people in power, the people with the money, what they want. And what they want is it going to be 100% what they tell you or what's in the rules. You have to learn to read between the lines, to listen to the words they're saying, but listen to the music under the words they're saying. I started to understand the game within the game of the NBA. And I'll give Right, so there's a game, there's a game within the game everywhere you, you go in life. And so you want to thrive, you need to understand the game within the game. An example, I was in Philadelphia and I'm refereeing Sixers Bulls. They were cracking down on a spin move that they wanted the officials to call traveling. Okay, so 
it seems like nobody calls traveling in the NBA. I mean, it's just when you watch it, it looks like people are routinely taking three steps. But there's a particular spin move down by the baseline near the basket that the NBA decides that they want their officials to crack down on and, and to start whistling and calling a a travel, travel violation. But do you think they want this kind of travel violation called against LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant? No, because that would be bad for business. The NBA, the NFL, your employer, right? They don't enforce rules equally. It depends upon whom is at risk. And Michael Jordan does the spin move, and I make the call. Michael on the block, travel. Phil Jackson comes flying off the bench, and he starts giving me shit. And I say, wait a second, Phil. You know as well as I do, that's the spin move that they're telling us to call. And he said, they may want that play called, but they certainly don't want it called on him. And he And he's absolutely right. The NBA does not want a traveling violation called on Michael Jordan pulling a spin move because it's bad for, for business. So ordinary rules about what constitutes rape, all right? That was essentially ignored for very powerful men like Harvey Weinstein, right? Uh Rules about what constitutes murder get uh, get elided with, with regard to certain powerful men. Pointing to Jordan, who walked by and just stared at me. I got in the locker room. The other referee said, they want that call, but don't call it on him. Right, the NBA wants that call, but they don't want it called on Jordan. So society may want rape laws enforced, but until recently, they didn't want them enforced against the most powerful. The way David Stern structured the league, we as officials knew that it was better to treat the star players better than others. Right. And this is how it works. I, I think not just in the NBA. Is it more prevalent in the NBA? And and you'll, I remember reading an adulatory article in the New York Times, or was it ESPN, about you know how dedicated and how excellent NBA referees are. I mean, I think it's a shanda that you're still having umpires call balls and strikes in Major League Baseball. Because they're only right about 80% of the time. That could be much better handled by, you know, automatic uh, speed guns and the like, right? Allow, allow computers to, to call balls and strikes. But David Stern runs ran the NBA like a business where different players got treated differently. And different teams get treated differently. And referees gang up on certain players that they don't like, like Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson threatened a referee, and so the referees ganged up and started calling palming on Allen Iverson. Uh, the NBA referees virtually never call palming, but they did against Allen Iverson because they wanted to get back at him. I just wanted to be the best referee and advance up the ladder, and I saw the way God... Right. So the normal person wants to be the best, wants to be good at what he does, and wants to advance in, in social status and in his career. And so he learns to play the game. Right? If, if you want to succeed, you have to learn to play the game. And you don't say the quiet part out loud if you want to advance. I said we're in the NBA Finals, handled the game. They didn't call vows against the stars, and they were well-respected. These people that pay thousands of dollars to sit courtside here, they didn't come here to see Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Shaquille O'Neal sit on the bench. 
Right, so this is Tim Donaghy. He's the, the crooked NBA ref, but he's more honest than the NBA. Right, he's more honest than David Stern and uh, the current NBA commissioner. All right, this is the way the world works. I, I just think this is such a good metaphor for life, for, for work, for succeeding, for moving ahead in a particular community. Right, there, there are the rules on the books, and then there's how the game is really played, and this isn't written down. They came to see them play. The league's your boss, and you want them to think you're doing a good job because if that's the case. Right, so to do a good job as an employee of the NBA, as a ref, you treat different players differently. It's not about enforcing the law. It's about producing an entertaining product. It's not about objective excellence. It's about putting money in the pockets of powerful people. You're on that playoff roster that comes out. With that is an enormous amount more money and, and respect. You want the extra half, money? Quarter percent you want or that respect? Moves in millions of then, dollars a day? Uh, you learn to play the game press. as your boss Gosh. wants you to play the game. And that's going to be quite different from you know what he states in the employee manual. So Utah at Denver, all right? This is a classic game from 2007 that Tim Donaghy refereed. Allen Iverson and Steve Javi had butted heads for years. So Steve Javi is an NBA referee, right? And he's got a personal beef with Allen Iverson. So the other referees gang up on Iverson in support of their own man. There was an issue where Iverson actually threatened Javi, and we felt as a staff that Iverson should have been suspended. We decided before the game we were going to call palming violations on him. Right, so things don't operate according to the rule book. All right, so if people in charge don't don't discipline someone who threatens your group, then your group will collectively get together and make life difficult. All right? We knew he did it. We knew we could call it, but nobody ever did. I even called up Javi that day and told him to watch the game because we're going to take justice into our own hands. Right, and that's how the world works, all right? If you're rude to a receptionist, she's going to take justice into her own hands. If you're rude to your dentist or your doctor, right, they may well take justice into their own hands. If you're rude to your next-door neighbor or to the janitor, People like to take justice into their own hand. And we've got a palming violation. Palming violation. How often do you see that in the NBA? I called the second one. It was a situation where it was going to put Iverson at a disadvantage and Denver at a disadvantage. So I told Batista to bet Utah. Right. So he's he's got a scam going on there. And uh, it's pretty, pretty lucrative. But the big scan is uh, how the NBA operates and power operates, all right? It's not just what they say. Some of the games, not all I was conspiracy like, theories oh, my are God. oh, my God, put that fuck, don't. He, it was, some of it was very obvious. So I'm watching each game from the edge of my chair. I need to relax, pop a few Oxycontins, chill. Yeah. I Excellent always Netflix did Tim's laundry when he came home, and I went to throw and his Tim NBA Donaghy, jacket the, the corrupt, in the washing machine. Uh, NBA referee. And I put my hand but in the pocket, the and there was a wad with of money about the NBA that itself. Not, uh, not and just, I thought, uh, Tim Donaghy. Wow, that's a lot of money. 
the announcers and the owner of the Heat wanted him fired. Right, so personal feuds are a huge part of how the world works. So let me let me rewind this a little bit. Orlando at Miami, March 18, 2007. Right, Joe Crawford. A couple weeks prior, he had a run-in with one of the Heat's radio or TV. And okay, so this is an NBA referee, the, the most respected NBA referee, who doesn't like a Miami Heat TV announcer, and so. In retaliation, he is getting to screw over this NBA referee. He's going to screw over the Miami Heat, make it near impossible for them to win a game. So there, there's this one ref where Chris Paul has never won a game where this one particular ref operates. And this ref was, was a good friend of uh, uh, Tim Donaghy. All right. And uh, Donaghy would call him before and after and often during games. But this referee was never convicted for any wrongdoing. But this referee hates Chris Paul. Chris Paul is something like 0-12 in the postseason when this referee goes at it you know, in a very demonstrably biased way against Chris Paul. Owner of the Heat wanted him fired. So look at one another, Tim Donaghy and Joey Crawford. You know, he was the top official in the league and he could basically do whatever he wanted to do. I knew any chance he got, he was going to stick it to somebody. Right, so any chance that the NBA's top official got, he was going to stick it to the teams that he had feuds with, the, the TV announcer. I mean, that's how the world works. This is, this is excellent stuff. It's Netflix documentary called Untold Operation Flagrant Foul. Shot clock is down to three. And Howard is fouled by Posey. And Glib Medley says basketball seems like the most subjective sport when it comes to calling fouls. It's uh, easy to fix the game. Yeah, it certainly seems the that way. Home court loss in February for the Heat in three seasons. Right, right. The Heat we gets a big screwed. Bash for Kim's 40th. That bought our pair of earrings. The Heat gets screwed because the league's number one referee doesn't like a a Miami Heat uh, basketball announcer. Throwing the games and it was blatant. Commissioner would have known. His co-workers would have known. The owners would have known. The players would have known. They would have called attention to it then. Which was the reason why Tim was saying, well, there were other people involved. And he believes that it went all the way up the chain. Welcome to the National Basketball Association. Listen, I called what the NBA wanted me to call. They said, go out and make sure, you know, you concentrate on this tonight. That's what I went out and concentrated on. David Stern built the league around a business model that would highlight certain key players, certain high-profile teams. Tim had... Right, so key players, key teams in key media markets get fired, uh, get favored by the NBA's referees. Right, the fix is in. Had this incredible insight into the connection between the business model and the referees and the way they ref games. Right, so the best business model in the minds of the people running the NBA is not the honest one, it's not the upstanding one, it's not the objective one. It's a corrupt, essentially a corrupt, largely unspoken conspiracy to favor certain key stars and key teams in key markets. Real time on the court. And that's what he's telling the FBI. Every playoff game meant tens of millions of dollars for the league. So they wanted the series to go towards seven games as often as... Right. So the NBA makes tens of millions of dollars for every game. 
So they want series to run as long as possible, and that affects how the NBA referees operate. Possible if there was a sweep, it was not good for the league's bottom line. So it's not quite everything is fixed, but it's worth it's worth understanding how how the game really works. Lakers Kings playoff game. Right, that game has gone worst, down as the worst, worst officiated game in worst. the history of the NBA. Just horrible. Just horrible. Just horrible. Just totally in favor of the Lakers. Totally against the Sacramento Kings. It was, it was just absolute shocking. It was absolutely ridiculous. Like, just, I remember watching this game. It's incredibly one way. Like Mike Bibby, the guard, gets a gets an elbow in the face from Kobe Bryant. Those three guys that referee that game advance and get another bonus after what they just did. Right. It's a Shonda. Where would you ever see that happen? In what profession? When push came to shove. So operation. They, they weren't cranberries. Bow. Cranberries means cranberries. keeping quiet. They folded. So the people involved were supposed to keep quiet. One of them, the did. only one Two left, was folded. me. Talk to the FBI. And my lawyer, the Jack. The big story is the I FBI essentially shut down the FBI investigation. Like they leaked it, so the FBI couldn't do their undercover investigation to reveal how rampant the crime was. I wanted is to go to trial the against the NBA. I had enough information that either they're going to walk with me or go against me told them that we were going to put every NBA official on the stand. I was tired, exhausted. All of a sudden, Jack's ripping up, calling my phone. Someone was calling Jack for me to take a deal. Right, the NBA so did what there. Is played the illegal game. sweet deal revealed. They dropped the most significant things. And uh, they, they, the NBA commissioned a, a supposedly, you know, private investigation. And it turned out that 90% of NBA referees were gambling. Not necessarily on the games that they were officiating, but they were gambling at every single one. Every single NBA referee is forbidden from gambling. That's a key part of his contract. Yet 90, 95% of them are doing it. And, and yet the NBA just turns a blind eye. So independent investigation shows that 52 out of the 60 NBA referees are gamblers against the rules. And yet uh, they keep they keep working. Happy, but I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, David Stern controls everybody. Right. The power and the money. And so the NBA just wants to I say it's Tim Donaghy. I remember the Skyway Bridge thinking, you know, I should just get out and jump. Yeah, so the temptation to commit suicide is chilling when when you're down. Looking at it from the big picture. But uh, in the end, he's far more honest. For what he did and the lessons learned. Right, this is, this is the FBI agent who prosecuted him. And he knows how the NBA sabotaged a proper FBI investigation. He got off easy. You were dealing with the NBA with a lot of power, a lot of clout, a lot of money. Stern amassed a small army to make sure this didn't cause significant damage. And you want to know something? He encapsulated it. And also, our investigation into 
dozens of areas of information that we got from Tim led us to the point that it was clear that we were not going to indict anybody else. Was Phil working for the NBA? He wasn't working for the government because why didn't they go after everybody else? 60 NBA referees were fucking questioned on gambling. 45 admitted to yes. Up 45, 52, according to the Padawitz report. 52 out of 60 Did Phil and the fucking gambling. boys go after them? Uh-uh. Why? Big Daddy Stern said, put this bitch to bed. They could not get it out. Yeah, this guy nails Did it. Did Phil and the fucking boys go after them? Uh-uh. Why? Big Daddy Stern said, put this bitch to bed. They could not get it out. Yeah. And uh, and uh, David Stern, NBA commissioner, he offered the FBI agent investigating this corruption, he offered him a job to essentially buy him off. Turner offered you a job in the course of the investigation. Is that true? He pulls me, Stern pulls me aside. He says, you know, I could use people like you. Now, was, was I looking for a job? Would I ever entertain a job from somebody I was investigating? Not even close. They gave him his pension. He got minimal time. I believe David Stern, Tim Donaghy, and Phil Scala were working together to make it simple. He was a rogue official. Listen, anything that Batista says, he's full of shit. Yeah, so great stuff in this uh, Netflix documentary, Operation Flagrant Foul. And Corta says, Trump is done. Trump would like to have dinner with you. Our top supporters, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, those come in. Seriously, I get 18 a day. Me. Um, I can't imagine how much the rest of you poor people are getting. Um, so on one of these, there's an email from Roger Stone, and he's slamming Ron DeSantis, the hero governor of Florida. And, okay, I'm thinking, oh, man, Roger. Um, just delete it, move on. Very soon after that, I don't know, days later, a week later, another email comes through from Roger Stone, and the subject line is something about... You should read. I wish you people would read what I had to say about Ron DeSantis or something like that. Or I'm not against Ron DeSantis. So, huh, I check out that email and he's backpedaling like crazy. And I'm I'm not against Ron DeSantis. I've heard from a lot of you. So apparently he's sending this email out to the people on Trump's email list attacking DeSantis and get so much blowback. He's got to quickly follow it up with a backpedaling email. Again, this suggests to me Trump is not the huge hit. He can say anything. He can denounce anyone. Um, So I saw a poll on Twitter by 538 saying 77% of Republicans love Donald Trump, want him to run for president. They support Trump. And I didn't have time. So I just tweeted back at the time saying, uh, um, this does not comport with my, with my experience, or as a liberal would say, this does not comport with my lived experience. experience. Uh, But I didn't have time to look at it. A few weeks later, I look at the poll and it's a really interesting poll. And by the way, 538, great pollster. I would never say, oh no, this poll is just wrong. So I want to look at the poll. And what was interesting was you could break it down by demographics. Um, And I made a few notes for myself. Okay. So I looked at just women. How do they feel about Trump? Women across the country. Um, They were 24% net Republican is, um, this is just a guess though. It's supported by not only that that data, but but this other fact. My conclusion is that a lot of a lot of people who who can, used to consider themselves Republicans hear the media just hectoring them, browbeating them. Trump is the Republican Party. Trump is the Republican Party. They're joined at the hip. It's basically it's Trump's Republican Party, and they're thinking to themselves, "Well, yeah, wow, I always thought of myself as a Republican, but if Trump is a Republican Party, maybe I'm an independent." That's not quite me. Bombast, insults, and no results. Um, so. Then I looked at, and I've, I've not only run into a lot of people who told me, yeah, I dropped my registration from Republican to independent. I was, I was telling this to a group of, of wealthy men in, in Utah this winter, and the person who asked the question, I gave my theory to, and he said, yeah, that's me. I, I re-registered as an independent. Um, it turns out there, there are 44% of, of the country, according to Gallup, now considers itself independent. It's about 22% Republican, 24% Democrat, something like that. 44% are calling themselves independents. So Republicans, hey, it's, dude, the party Trump, going, it's safe to come back. And it's safe. Oh, Jim, good to see you again, Luke. 
Good to see you. So do you have do you have an opening thought for us tonight? Um on any any topic or uh I told you have an opening thought on any topic. Yeah, I told you. So yes. Okay, yeah, I was you know thinking uh I mean certainly I found your article on the free energy principle quite interesting. That's uh, related to my research and the predictive mind and uh you know pattern that like we naturally try to resolve patterns or the best of our ability to uh, make patterns. So if you want to go over that article or, or what you wrote, I found that very interesting. I was, uh, you know, just reading the New York Times, Biden's speech, quoting extremism, um, you know, the new Ken Burns on the Holocaust. And, uh, you know, God forbid, I'm, it's uh, pretty pessimistic, the situation here in America, and, and even this, you know, kind of uh, moralizing of uh, trying to, you know, that we're doing the right thing. And so I think me and you are much more practical and, uh, you know, than trying to find out who the good guys are or this pitch that, uh, you know, we have to be on the right side of things and, uh, you know, figure out who's good or bad. So uh, I'm sorry I didn't have much of a, a monologue, but, but happy to talk about any subject. Okay. I'll uh, I'll jump in here and uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, the free energy principles. So I was... I was reading, I was reading uh, a book on on this, the free energy principle, and ironically, the, the free energy principle says that free energy is actually chaos. All right, this isn't positive energy. So energy, the free energy principle, it's not a physical phenomenon like heat or electromagnetic radiation, but it's an explanatory category right, akin to gravity that has mental and physical connotation. So it's a principle or a framework for understanding the fundamentals of psychic life, both conscious and unconscious. So according to the free energy principle, the brain's task is to select from, attend to, to shape, and to maintain homeostasis, that means order, in the face of the streams of incoming neural energy, meaning chaos, from both inside ourselves and outside ourselves. So the brain does this by predicting top-down on the basis of previous experience the likely meanings of our bottom-up feelings. So this is uh, these predictions follow an 18th-century cleric, Thomas Bayes, and therefore known as a Bayesian. And so the ever-changing discrepancy between prediction and sensation, right, where the brain instructs itself about uh, a model of the world, and then the closer the brain's model comes to reality, generally speaking, the happier we are. So according to this model, the the more minimal our prediction errors, right? The smaller the discrepancy between what we want, what we expect, and what our senses tell us is the case, right? The smaller the discrepancy, the happier we are. So when our expectations and our experiences align, we feel happy. And when we're in distress, it's because what we expected from reality is dramatically different from what we are experiencing. So what did you want to say about the free energy principle, David? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of research on what they call the cognitive revolution, which is uh, the creation of cognitive sciences more than psychology. And I guess they, you know, they put the, uh, in MIT, 1956, Noam Chomsky, Alan Newell, Arthur Miller, 
and Herbert Simon at, at a conference and an interdisciplinary study of multiple fields of uh, psychology, uh, anthropology, uh, computer science. And computer science comes important because with the rise of computers, we had a new way to understand how the mind works. Uh, you were saying like, well, the computer works this way. Maybe the mind works similar to the way the computer works. Uh, so this concept of the predictive mind that is constantly trying to figure things out to the best of the ability in, uh, you know, I think we talked about cognitive dissonance and uh, Festinger, I think that's 1956 and seven, and he actually embedded himself within a cult and he had predicted this like uh, um, cult that thought this comet was going to come past and some big event was going to happen. And when it didn't happen, he predicted that instead of recognizing that uh, you know, their cult was uh, nonsense and that they would double down and they would come up with alternative explanations for why the prediction failed. And uh, then he came up with his theory of cognitive dissonance. And uh, you know, generally why I'm not so judgmental and say like we're raised into ignorance. Ignorance is the natural condition. The best we could do is make predictions. And the more knowledge you have, the better predictions that you could make. And like this free energy, like cognitive dissonance, that uh, you want to have your know, lower levels of distress, lower levels of dissonance between inaccuracy, between like triggering, like how you used to say, uh, you know, people get triggered when there's a big dissonance between how we view the world and what's actually happening. And uh, you know, so the free energy principle, Carl Friston, um, is very interesting. It's actually quite mathematical, and uh, it's you know, I, I call it reverse anthropomorphism. And uh, I've, I've actually been on their channel, Active Inference. They uh, a young uh, Jewish man I, I mentioned who studied uh, got a PhD in studying ants is uh, in charge of their uh, YouTube discussions, and I, I was a guest on their channel. They almost are over a thousand subs, you know, because uh, you know, intellectual stuff doesn't get that many views. Uh, but yeah, I was impressed that you were covering it. And uh, yeah, I think the principles are important for self-improvement, you know, saying, because you could only do the best with the patterns that you're capable of making. So what, one of the, the keys to, to happiness, according to this theory, is developing more sophisticated and just a higher number of top-down models for how the world works. So, for example, if you go into life thinking, oh, religious people, good, you know, secular people, bad, that's not going to be a top-down model for life that works, right? You're going to be very unhappy, right, if you expect that religious people are going to consistently be more ethical than secular people. So that sort of simplistic model doesn't really work to, to equip you to navigate life. If you expect that Jews are going to consistently be finer more ethical, more upstanding people than non-Jews, right? That's another top-down model that's not going to serve you well in life. If you expect that the Christians are just going to consistently be more moral than, than non-Christians, that's not a top-down model that's going to serve you well in, in life. So according to this theory, you want to develop more models about how reality works. You want to get more sophisticated. You want to get more nuanced. And uh, any thoughts on this, David? 
Yeah, I mean, like you talk about often the magic key. And in essence, like from the free energy principle, that's the power of the magic key because it helps make predictions. Uh, but you know, the reality is there's no magic key. You have to have uh, countless heuristics, countless theories, and many theories contradict each other or make uh, you accurately describe one phenomenon uh, but inaccurately describe another phenomenon. And so the more complicated, uh, complex way that you view the world, the more you could uh, you know, function it. Like we were talking yesterday, uh, I, I found it fascinating if you wanted to go more deeper into it, like uh, dealing with difficult people. And I was relating that to the nature of an entourage. And if you're a powerful, successful person, you need large organizations and you need to have lots of people together. And if you're a smaller person, you might not appreciate every function that people have and you come into conflict. And, uh, you know, so presumably if you're higher up in the hierarchy, you understand the complexity of why everyone else is uh, you know, needed in the functions uh, that they're filling. So, you know, it's not like there's no single magic key. It's, you know, lifelong learning and understanding more and more processes. And then within that, we, you know, we could correctly make more and uh, better predictions. Like I, I was also saying that uh, dealing with difficult people is a mirror to uh, imperfections and failings within myself. And uh, you, you could look at that from prediction errors, like uh, that if I went into a place that, uh, and then I have, I'm coming into difficulties, that that's kind of like a prediction error. And uh, then maybe if you could have made a better calculation, there wouldn't be the same prediction uh, error that's causing these uh, difficulties. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I talk a lot about the, the silliness of believing that there's a, a magic key that uh, just unlocks all of life. And it's such a, a dominant hu human tendency to think there's a magic key. And I, I do with the, when I grew up as a Christian, I, I, I thought that Christianity was the magic key for unpacking how, how the world worked. And, and then when I got into Marxism, I thought Marxism was the magic key to how the world worked. And then I got into Judaism. I thought Judaism was the magic key to how the world worked. And then I got into Dennis Prager's thinking, and I thought, ah, oh, this is the, the magic key to how, how the world works. And in reality, the more sophisticated your, your top-down models are, the more plentiful, right? The closer you're going to get to approximating reality. And I got an interesting email from a loyal viewer today. She said, you know, I, I loved your, your video from a month ago, Dearly Beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God. And she says, you know, I, I wish that video was four hours long. I could listen to you talk about hero system stuff all day. And by email or it says, you know, I just offered a, an olive branch to a guy living out his own victim, narcissist, angry, aggravated system. He wrote me back saying I betrayed him. He took no responsibility. Uh, so I shouldn't have reached out to him to see if he'd grown. So this woman says, your your videos help me get back to to a state of homeostasis, to, to peace, which I foolishly wrecked for a few hours or maybe longer by revisiting things with someone who's a nutter. And uh, she says, you know, I mocked no contact with this person as brutality, but, but now I see that it's necessary. Yeah, there, there are a lot of people you're better off having no contact with. And so she erred by mocking a, a person and he's getting back at her. And she says, now I don't mock anything. God will not be mocked. Once I stopped mocking things, God came and saved me. 
all my fears left, all my addictions left, left. I was in the greatest bliss of my life. And uh, I'm terrified of this guy. And I guess that's how we wind up. Fear and light are the two forces in the world. They are at war for thousands of years. I was really enjoying life, not being afraid. I'm sure I'll settle down soon. And uh, so any, any thoughts on some of some of the points that that woman was making? Yeah, I mean, so, sometimes, you know, you as, you know, streamer or leadership uh, teaching in general could uh, clarify things for other people. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a good feeling to do. And, you know, say if it's a good deed to help people and uh, you relate to the free energy principle, if you could uh, give people top-down rules, you know, heuristic, better ways to understand the world that they could predict uh, things better and uh, deal with difficult situations. And I think it was President Obama that said often, but I think it goes back much earlier that, you know, like the president, only the difficult things reach their desk. And, uh, you know, that's what it takes moving up the hierarchy or power structures or even hero, uh, you know, hero uh, structures is being able to deal with uh, with difficulties. And, you know, so the better you could predict, uh, you make predictions in difficult situations, you know, the easier it is, uh, you know, so to say, to be a hero. And how how difficult was it for you to give up the idea of a, of a magic key that unlocks how the world works? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I ever, I mean, you know, I probably at some point uh, in some levels, uh, but uh, you'll think I had a pretty good education and I'd seen a lot in, uh, in my youth that uh, I, I didn't really fall into that fallacy. You know, like my parents had a big library and the classics, and uh, yeah, I went to good schools. That I knew that there was this all the sorts of wisdoms out there, and that uh, it wasn't going to be like I was going to learn one thing that was going to you know solve a bunch of things. That, that uh, you know, there's incredible amount of uh, wisdom and and uh, you know, you're out there in front of us. Yeah, I, I think you know one one magic key, simplistic way of looking at the world that we see in the chat. That uh, Luke Ford said the election was one hundred percent honest. Now I'd never say anything so stupid. I'd simply said that the people trying to make the case that the election was rigged have failed. Now someone may come along and make that case, but everyone who has attempted to do so so far has been absolutely pathetic. Right? They they haven't even gotten close to to making their case. And anyone who buys their case. Uh, has has no critical thinking abilities is just a, a man of the herd right you believe the 2020 election was rigged and it's based on you know some column by michael anton or that that pollster who's always going on, on joseph cotto then you will believe in anything all right you will believe in fairy tales you'll believe in unicorns you have zero ability to critically assess any information you are the most naive sucker around you would probably buy into some email from nigerian prince all right offering you you know thousands of dollars if you just give him your your bank account information so simply noting that all those who try to make the case that the 2020 election was rigged right have absolutely failed and Scott Roberts says, oh, the Georgia video is 100% normal, bro. Yeah, actually it is if you know anything, but you don't know anything. So for you, it's like stunning and shocking because you don't want to do any work about, uh, yeah, Patrick 
Basham, right? I mean, if you believe Patrick Basham's critique of the 2020 election, that you'll believe emails from Nigerian princes. Like if you believe that uh, a Georgia, you know, video showed, you know, plain evidence of cheating, right? The most famous uh, Georgia video, then you'll believe absolutely anything because you are so lazy, right? You couldn't be bothered to research what was actually going on. All you want to hear is stuff that already confirms your understanding how the world works. You don't want to get anything contrary. You don't want to get any challenge. You don't want to actually learn anything. You just want to emote. It's like, oh, I don't like how the election went. Therefore, it was fixed. You know, I don't like how my sports team did on Saturday. Therefore, you know, the game was fixed. If my team loses, then the game was, was fixed. If my group loses, then it's because of the elites. Why did the observers get booted, bro? Well, do some research and find out. All right? The same sort of procedures have happened for, for many, many elections. There wasn't like some widespread booting of observers, right? It's not that you have, as an observer, you know, automatic status to do absolutely anything and go anywhere you want, right? There's a system for how the world works. And there's a system for how elections work. And if you want to be effective in critiquing the system, then you should get educated. You should learn something. You should read contrary points of view and try to assess it, all right, instead of just uh, buying into the things that uh, are told to you. So noting that all the major cases that the, the election was rigged are absolutely fatuous is not saying the election was 100% honest. All I'm saying is those trying to make the opposite case of being absolutely pathetic. And anyone who buys into it on the basis of these various critiques is absolutely pathetic in their thinking as well. I mean, all you are is a homer, right? You've got your home team and you just root for your home team no matter what, right? You just want to go with your heart. You, you don't want to do any thinking. You don't want to do any study. You don't want to listen to any contrary points of view because that would be upsetting. Uh, David, I've just gone on a long rant was there anything that you wanted to pick up on yeah i mean i mean god forbid like you know charles moskowitz is you know election truther and likes to play around with words and you know me and jennifer you know i met my grandfather's grandfather who you know, was a rabbi in german trained in germany came to america got his degree in germany in philology uh the philosophy of words and i, I guess that field doesn't exist anymore and so i'm always telling jennifer like these uh, infinite regresses around definitions or the various ways that people use words. So if you use words like rigged, um, like in many ways, depending on how you understand the word rigged, you say, well, the election was rigged in the way that there were forces that did everything possible to defeat Trump. Like, uh, you know, Jocelyn Benson in Michigan ran for secretary of state largely because she wanted Trump to lose uh, you know, she, you know, I think 2018 ran and won and she changed the election rules and people like Mark Zuckerberg uh, donated a bunch of money. Um, you know, th there was the teaming up of people dropping out of the race to support Biden and a whole sort of things that tipped the scales in balance of Biden. And you know, so if you play around, we said, well, that means rigged uh, to a certain extent. Um, and then you play around with the word, well, well rigged, meaning that they uh, did everything possible to uh, change the rules within the letter of the law. Like in Michigan, Jocelyn Benson was the head of Wayne State Law School. 
you know, Harvard Law School alumni, um, you know, she knew how to uh, do everything within the law to uh, see to it that the Democrats had better chances to win. And, you know, the nature that people portray themselves as altruistic uh, when they're not. Uh, but, you know, I, I catch this key thing, you know, with like Nazis that where people play around with word games. I'm not sure if you follow much like, you know, I knew you followed Richard Spencer pretty tightly, but uh, Nick Nick Fuentes seems pretty, uh, you know, more important these days in like the, uh, you know, the new e-drama like Mr. McGurl and Destiny hanging out with Nick Fuentes and all these people, uh, uh, you know, telling Destiny you can't hang out with uh, Nick Fuentes and, you know, God forbid, like he's a, you know, mamish Nazi and this, you know, quarter Jew, Mr. McGurl is, you know, saying like, you know, God forbid, Nick Fuentes wants to kill me and my family. He's literally, uh, you know, like a Nazi. And then like Destiny's saying, well, the word Nazi doesn't mean anything. And, uh, but, you know, it's these nature of playing around with words, uh, using the definition to have maximal meaning when it gives you the benefit or minimal meaning in order that, uh, you, you know, to uh, fit your argument when possible. And it's basically this, uh, you know, magic key, like, oh, the election was rigged. But, you know, when I meant rigged, I just meant that, uh, you know, they did everything within their power uh, in the, in the you know, the law and normal politics to change the rules and make it more likely that Biden would win. Uh, but then when they're more among their home base, you know, they mean like, no, rigged, that they're, you know, criminals and they should be punished. And, uh, you know, so like the word Nazi is, uh, you know, basically like that, where, you uh, you know, like everybody's a Nazi, but then, uh, you know, then like, no, I mean, literally Nazis and the words me- lose meaning. And it's just, you know, playing these definition games. Yeah, that, that's really, really good. So I, I think the, you know, American political system is, is, you know, rigged in the same sense as the the NBA, meaning that in certain times and places, like there are, you know, certain constituencies that, that get favored. So election rules were dramatically changed very effectively by Democrats in the lead up to the 2020 election. So they effectively changed rules to make it easier for their voters to turn out and get their votes counted. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg massively subsidized a turnout for Democratic voters and uh, sent very little money for the, the turnout of Republican voters. So Donald Trump overwhelmingly alienated America's elites. Right. And in particular, he, he alienated suburban voters who strongly turned against him in 2018 and in, in 2020. So it's a little bit like what happened to Richard Nixon. So Richard Nixon overwhelmingly won the 1972 election, but then he alienated every single power center in the country. He alienated the courts. He alienated business. He alienated the universities. He alienated law enforcement. And so he alienated all the elites, all the power centers. And so they all combined to take him down. And Donald Trump came very close to doing the same thing, right? If you want to take power and maintain power, you can't be alienating the most powerful forces in the country or they will combine to take you down. You have to at least keep some power centers, you know, some elites on your side. If you just screw over every elite group and every major power center, every major institution in the country, then the elites and the institutions are going to screw you over and uh, they're going to do it in in a way that looks uh, completely legal, very likely will be completely legal. 
Uh, any thoughts, David? Yeah, that's why I say like politics. I like policy and understanding how things work, but your know, politics basically comes down to winning elections and forming coalitions for majority and it's temporary just around the election and there's strategy like in you know the book in conservative phobia there's like i'm culturally con conservative and uh you behave in a conservative fashion but then there's actually uh winning elections and, and you know so they use terms like dog whistles and various things where you have to rile up the base in order to get them to turn out to win elections and it's conducive to dishonesty because that's how uh, the system works. And that's why politics is really uninteresting because it doesn't uh, really help people. And basically everyone's dishonest and disingenuous. And it comes down to the word game where, where people purposely use uh, you know, loose and tight definitions of words to, uh, you know, to purposely fool thing to fool people uh, and the reason is obvious because, you know, because elections and you need to uh, win the elections. And then, you know, I'm usually talking of Charles because we you actually like uh, technocrats and how power works. And it's like, well, well, the U.S. is a spoil system. So like, uh, you know, Biden, uh, it's purposely set up in a way that when you win, you get to uh, appoint people to be head of these institutes. And uh, then they have discretionary power you like attorney generals and, and the FBI and uh, all these organizations. And that's technically how the system works. So, uh, you, you know, it's generally no surprise that people falsely portray themselves to be altruistic. So that's, you know, generally, you know, when I analyze things, I don't think it's worthwhile analyzing opinions or thoughts about who are good or bad people, you know, saying that, uh, you know, uh, Maybe concepts like trustworthy, keeping the word, uh, but you know, for winning the elections and winning over the hearts and minds of the masses, usually it's this concept of uh, depicting good guys and bad guys. And uh, I, I think it was Jonathan Haidt and Steven Pinker, the conversation I mentioned to you, once you add morals into politics, like the IQ instantly drops 10 points. Right, like Scott Scott Roberts, I know you want to live in the cave, and and it, it's silly of me to offer to bring you out of the cave into the light. You you see shadows on the cave wall, and you think that's the ultimate reality. And so, for me to take you out of living in the cave, all right, that, that's just you know totally foolish uh, on my part. Because whenever there are people who live in the cave, and you try to bring them out of the cave. All right, they're going to bite you. All right, what type of people live in a cave? Wounded animals prefer to live in a cave. So, people with very limited top down models, like our Scott Roberts character in the chat, says, Oh, it's, you know, 40 is saying it's okay for elites to legally steal. I haven't said anything on the show about what's okay or not okay. I'm just talking about how the world works. I haven't made any moral judgments, but you can't handle that. Right. You can't handle the reality. You can't, you can't, uh, deal with my arguments straight on right you can't confront the unimpeachable logic of what i'm saying so you can only you know distort what i'm saying because the bare ass truth of what i'm saying is just too powerful for you if you were to confront the bare ass truth of what i'm saying you'd have to emerge out of the the cave and you don't want to leave the cave you're you're a wounded animal that's that's not your fault 
and uh, you're just determined to live in the cave and you know watch a lot of pornography and that's you know where you're at and that's just part of your journey so laponia says the 2020 election was as legal as uh, john gotti's initial acquittals well guess what john gotti's initial acquittals were 100 percent legal they were 100 percent binding there's absolutely no necessary connection between a legal acquittal and a moral acquittal right there's no necessary connection between a bureaucratic ruling or a court ruling or an academic ruling or a peer-reviewed paper and truth right there's no inherent connection between those things and so laponia says has 40 ever read the constitution yes i have there are no loopholes that allow elites to take control of the republic good lord man my god the constitution is a document that was was written in the 1780s it doesn't run the united states today it was a document at a particular time and place and different peoples give different levels of interpretation but not only is the constitution not a death warrant nor a life warrant right nor a, a system in and of itself the constitution has no power but whatever people decide to give it right gay marriage is the law of the land is the is gay marriage in the constitution right for for decades we had an inalienable right to to have an abortion is that in the constitution there's absolutely no connection inherent connection between what it says in the constitution and the way the united states of america works right so just because you have a document that that was written in the 1780s uh that doesn't mean it determines reality today but to to face the reality of the sunshine and the truth and to come out of the cave where you're just so incredibly entertained by the the dancing shadows on the cave wall that you never want to leave the cave you never want to you know encounter contrary points of view you don't want to enter the world of of sunlight and clarity and you know cool ocean breezes and fresh air right you want to stay in a fetid cave you know watching pornography and you know finding people who will reinforce your your opinions and so coming out of the cave and looking at reality and and recognizing how more sophisticated top-down models are going to serve you better make you more effective in life and happier right i i understand that's too too challenging right now i mean i extend my hand to you on this show pretty much every day saying mate i know you've been living in the cave if you decide you want to leave the cave if you decide that you were tired of being entertained by dancing shadows on a wall and you want the real thing all right you want the former giller all right you want to start living in a world of truth and light all right i extend my my virtual hand to you and you can take my virtual hand and and i will help you come out of the cave into the world of reality but I'm not going to send my hand down into your fetid cave where you're masturbating and you've got, you know, rotten fruit and, you know, you haven't, you know, showered in days, right? I'm not going to put my hand down into that filthy place, right? So I, I know you'll just bite my hand if, if, I, if I try to drag you out into the sunlight of the truth. So I, I recognize that you love living in, in a, a world of shadows dancing on the cave and you're not a bad person. That's how you learned to deal with what Uncle Wally did to you when you were a kid. 
right? It, it made you anxious. It made you afraid. And so you've gone on to, to lead a much smaller smaller life to deal with that, that trauma. So, uh, Duvid, one, one of the best ways of developing more sophisticated and effective top-down models of how reality works is to consult with many sources of information. Now, not, not just get your news and information from Fox or, or even the New York Times or from, you know, ABC, but primarily to read books and read academic surveys and talk to very intelligent people and consult sources of information from all over the political, moral, cultural, religious spectrum. That's, that's one of the best ways of developing more sophisticated and useful top-down models of how reality works. Any thoughts, David? Yeah, I've been saying uh, a few months now, um, you know, from kind of a meta-analysis level, that politics is kind of akin to the question of evil, or or why the righteous uh, suffer and the wicked prosper, and or what I also talk about, uh, you know, the Kabbalists or Hindus refer to taking high or low birth, which is kind of the rich dad, poor dad. Uh, you know, why does one guy have uh, rich parents and everything laid out? Uh, for their path to success and other people uh, struggle. Uh, why do people who apparently uh, behave in bad ways get rewarded where people behave in good ways uh, get punished? And in essence, that's what people turn to politics for uh, because, you know, power is distance and uh, you call it the trick of democracy where we're very distant from power and, your power level kind of comes out in politics that, uh, you know, uh, you know, generally when people start becoming richer or more powerful, you ask, well, are you going to run for Congress? And you're like, well, of course I'm not, I would, you know, there's no chance I would win if I ran uh, for Congress. Uh, you know, I would probably lose, uh, you know, if I ran for dog catcher, even the local, uh, you know, most local small, uh, elections, let alone a larger election. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you see some sort of insight in looking at politics, kind of like you're pondering the question of uh, of evil. Uh, I'll have to ponder that a little more and uh, come come back to you on it. I, I want to pick up on my interlocutor. Laponia says, if the Constitution no longer applies, then there is no system in the United States. There's something, but it's not a system. It's chaos. Okay, the Constitution or the Bible or the Torah or the Communist Manifesto, or the collected writings of 40, apply to the extent that people decide that they should apply and decide to follow them, and then they can decide to follow them according to, you know, what was 40's original intent, okay? 40 wrote a blog post July 3, 1997, but he wrote that at a certain time and place. 40 had just bought his first real personal computer and he came home and within an hour he'd set up a page a free page on AOL and he he wrote a blog post so do we attempt to live out life in, in the light of this July 3 1997 blog post by by its plain meaning or do we try to figure out what was the original intent of 40 at the time or what were the the forces that were operating on 40 that that may have uh, distorted his understanding of reality. So the U.S. Constitution, like the Bible or the Torah, okay, it comes out at a particular time and place. It's only in force right now if people choose to make it in force, right? The law, right, traffic law is only enforced if people, individuals, 
choose to enforce it. There are all sorts of places in the United States where there's next to no enforcement of the law. If police are not enforcing the law, there is no law but the law of the jungle. Right? So the U.S. Constitution applies to the extent that powerful people and substantive people and ordinary people decide that the Constitution should apply, and then it applies according to the structures that we have in place right now, structures both formal and informal, right? Power centers are not always explicitly uh, defined, all right? So much of how the world works and how America works is done behind closed doors, and there will never be an exception to that. There will never be a society that is run on the basis of a 200-year-old document, and that's it, right? That 200-year-old document has to be interpreted to changing circumstances. You could believe that every word of the U.S. Constitution came from God, and still you would have to struggle with how do we then apply it to changing circumstances. So the Constitution has an effect to the extent that people alive today want it to have an effect. And then what parts of it do they want to have it have an effect? And do we take it literally? Do we take it spiritually? Do we take it philosophically? Right? There are constant different interpretations of the, the Constitution. The Constitution in and of itself is just a piece of paper. It is no more the system than my July 3, 1997 blog post. Now, it's entirely possible that in 100 years, the United States will no longer be run according to the U.S. Constitution. It may be well you know, run according to the collected writings of 40. And then, you know, America's greatest minds will be getting together and trying to figure out what was uh, 40's original intent. But you can't confuse reality with a guidebook, all right? You can't confuse reality with a map, right? The map is not the territory. The map is a simulation of the territory, and the Constitution was a document that has proved influential because people have wanted to implement it. Uh, David, any thoughts on what I was just talking about? Yeah, I mean, going back to the free energy principle and the predictive mind and saying, you know, uh, in what we are talking about yesterday, uh, you know, Orthodox Jews are relatively very practical people in many ways. And uh, I studied under this one the older Satmir Chassid, uh, you know, he was big into Kabbalah and taught me a bunch of interesting things, although he was kind of crazy. And he would always say, you know, if you're so smart, I think he was quoting a rabbi, maybe it was even Rabbi Freifold from Shar Yashiv in uh, Far Rockway, you know, how come you can't get what you want and to define intelligence as the ability to get what you want? And then, you know, thinking like I did building permits to navigate the governmental system. So you could focus on politics and like Biden and things that are outside of really our reach and aren't really significant to us towards, uh, you know, what matters. Uh, you know, thank God I, I haven't had any problems with the law for almost, you know, since I've been back here in Detroit. I haven't even had a, a parking ticket for like five years, a speeding ticket in like 10 years. Um, like I know how the system works. I know how to navigate it. And I have a pretty good network of people if I needed to practically do something. If I wanted to open up a business and register a company, if I needed a lawyer, uh, like you were talking about Rod, Rod, Rodney and you know, health and doctors, uh, you know, God forbid if I came into uh, medical difficulties, uh, you know, I know doctors, 
I know multiple doctors. I would probably be able to get multiple opinions from uh, different doctors and a reasonable assessment of my power level and politics. Like, how much politics do I really need to know? Um, and like, I'm not even, you know, like, like I talked to you about eBay and how I get reamed on eBay. They take 12% off of, uh, or the various things that I have no power on uh, over that uh, I basically just have to suck it up and give eBay uh, what I think is a, you know, a egregiously large cut of my profit. Uh, but I have no power level to do anything about that uh, versus, uh, you know, people that move up in the business world and even Haredi Jews, like I mentioned, kind of like mafia and, uh, you know, like Jewish mafia are more financial criminals where if you're in real estate or insurance fraud or, or uh, I mean, various things and you're considering doing something that you know doesn't match the letter of the law, you know that there's a certain risk you're going to get caught. You know the benefit that maybe you get away with, you know, like if you're not taking proper care of your building, uh, but to meet the government standards cost this amount of money. And if you get caught, it's going to, you know, cost you this much, but if you don't get caught, you're going to, you know, the various things that you make very practical risk reward calculations. And, uh, you know, that's why I put like politics is kind of like the question of evil and why the righteous, uh, suffer and the wicked prosper. And we want to see ourselves as the righteous person who's suffering and uh and you know so to take that practical level of intelligence as being the ability to get what you want and then politics from the technocrat le level is do you know how to navigate the system for your needs instead of worrying about power structures that we have no power over if you are actually like no let's open up a business like streaming or whatever we're doing and saying I'm I'm successful at navigating the system in order to get what I want. And uh, looking at the chat, Scott Roberts is still hanging out in the cave. So he says Ford is saying that being corrupt is fine if you can control the enforcement apparatus. I haven't said anything remotely close to that. I, in fact, I say the very opposite. I, I'm not saying anything about morality or being fine or not fine. I'm pointing out that the way the law works isn't just based on the law on the books. It depends on how people choose to enforce it and how the law is enforced has absolutely nothing to do with being fine or unfine. Plenty of fine people get wrongly convicted and plenty of evil people never even get charged or arrested. Right? That's the nature of reality. I realize that that may be you know, a little too bracing, but that's how the world works. Ford... Let me get uh, Hunter Biden isn't corrupt since the FBI won't prosecute him. No, my point is that someone's corrupt or whether someone's corrupt or not corrupt has nothing inherently to do with anyone prosecuting him or not. Right? Just because you get prosecuted doesn't mean that you're corrupt. And just because you're not prosecuted doesn't mean that you're innocent. Right? O.J. Simpson was not convicted of murder, right? even though he was clearly a murderer of two people. So what a court decides, what a government bureaucracy decides, what a government bureaucratic law enforcement agency decides to do may have absolutely zero connection with reality or any kind of moral system, right? Every bureaucracy and every law enforcement bureaucracy, you know, operates according to its own 
rules that are written and unwritten and according to its own interests. People try to advance their self-interest and they use, you know, whatever language and tactics they think will be most effective at advancing their interests. Laponia says, can the average U.S. citizen interpret laws and the Constitution as he wishes? Yes, you can interpret the Bible, the Constitution any way you want. Now, can you then act on whatever interpretation? Obviously, you can't. But in certain businesses, you should know, you know how much you can get away with not reporting to the IRS, right? There are you know, ways that you can cheat the government and get away with it. In many locations, you can jaywalk, and the odds of it's you... It's a risk. You, it's you always get... a risk. You know the certain amount that there's a chance you're going to get caught, and there's a certain punishment level if you get caught, and there's a reward level... And I mean, so if you're smart about it or you've done your due diligence, you know, the risk reward calculation. I don't think you could you could never really know that you're going to get away with it. You could just know the general odds of the risk reward calculation. Right. And so if you're it becomes so effectively you know, tiny, the, the odds that you will get get busted for doing something that, that, yeah, you can, you know, virtually effectively know. So if I'm driving down I-5 and there's not a car near me that's going slower than 80 miles an hour, the effective speed limit is above 80 miles an hour, even though the posted speed limit is 65, all right? What's posted? What's written in the book? What the theory says? What the sacred text says, right? What our founding father says and what is the nature of reality are frequently different, right? You, you can't just say, oh, the, the book says this, and therefore that is what operates, right? In many locations in the U.S., you can quite easily get away with murder. In other locations, getting away with murder is considerably more difficult. Laponia says election law was written in a particular time and place. Exactly, right? Exactly, right? Election laws were fundamentally changed in many areas, many locations in 2020 that uh, seemed to have worked to favor the Democrats. They were very effective at changing laws, and they, they did it legally, and uh, they won. They seem to be much more effective than the the uh, Republicans. So it's uh, it's a great thing just to kind of notice how the world works and uh, take time out from trying to impose your top-down models on reality and just kind of watch and listen and observe uh, reality. Uh, David, anything you want to jump in with? Yeah, I was thinking we were talking, you know, the two shows, Monday and Tuesday, you know, God forbid, about sex. And I was thinking uh, in New York of your roommates and friends of, of mine where, God forbid, they exclusively spent the majority of their free time plotting promiscuity. And, you know, like yeshiva, like, okay, you learn Torah, but they, like Orthodox Jews were more practical and plotted their free time thinking about how to make money. And you was thinking about like, you know, the guy who, uh, you know, get me in front of Donald Trump so I could sell him a mortgage. And, you know, like I want to meet Donald Trump so that I could close a mortgage deal, a real estate deal. I'm going to make some money and then I'll be able to uh, you move up status. They didn't really care that much about Donald Trump and the social implications of being connected to Trump. They wanted to make some money and close a deal. Uh, you versus the people that, uh, you know, you, and probably you could think back, you know, decades, I mean, probably a good 10 years of my life in New York, half of my friends, the majority of what they did was plotting out, trying to have forbidden sexual relations. 
and you know like rodney was talking about promiscuity and saying well a lot of those guys were pretty smart and had a decent level of impulse control because they really worked at it they plotted it out they came up with these strategies and like you know i even helped them you know like collaborating their lies or, or you know like or their false image of themselves in uh, you know in order to impress women and uh, you know various things and and uh, um you know a whole strategizing uh, versus uh, you know orthodox jewish businessmen who strategize how to grow their business and uh, you'll get ahead and even if it was uh, the ability to get around the law uh, versus politics like if you're actually in politics you're trying to get your candidate to win like the democrats uh, you know, did we're, we're just like um, you know like the liberals here they're knocking on doors they're phone banking earlier today I got a call from someone wanting me to vote for Gretchen Whitmore but I could think of hundreds of Jews not hundreds 20 Jews that I know spent thousands of hours phone banking, calling people, knocking on doors in order that the Democrats win. And they're doing that right now. And I don't care about politics that much, but uh, you're saying it's it's a plotting and scheming. And to me, it's kind of a waste. Like, does it matter? Um, you know, sometimes there's a power structure. You say, if you help your candidate, uh, uh, you know, win, and then you get to, uh, you get hooked up with power. So saying like, I'm not, you know, just making myself look altruistic. Really, I, I don't care about society or these greater things. What I want is the candidate that I'm supporting to win so that when they get into office, that they're going to hook me up. And uh, you rarely, if you're in politics, uh, you have to be careful speaking like that. But generally, that's what people are really thinking. And uh, you're saying, so it's more practical. Like you're saying, being in the cave, Focusing on uh, things that are way beyond us is, uh, you know, kind of a waste. And, and that, you know, going back to the, you know, I, I assume you also know people that wasted like, you know, decades of their life trying to achieve uh, promiscuity, although it was probably relatively practical planning and plotting that they actually carried out. Right. And think about the people, you know, who devote, you know, hundreds of hours to phone banking for, for Democrats. They have a particular hero system. And so when they call people to elect Democrats, they're not just thinking of that as, you know, trying to make a, a difference in, in a particular election. They believe that there's a transcendent and eternal value to what they're doing, that they have allied themselves with the forces of, of good and righteousness in, in the universe. It's not just a, a pragmatic decision. It's a transcendental uh, decision. It's every bit as, as faith-based as uh, what an Orthodox Jew does when he decides to obey the law of God as revealed in, in the Torah. So we're just humanly incapable without living with a with a hero system whether you're on the left whether you're on the right whether you're you're an atheist or a believer whether you're an orthodox jew or an orthodox christian uh, you have to have some sort of system whereby you play an important role in the universe that people get crushed otherwise by their own insignificance so they make up or develop or put faith into a hero system to give their lives purpose and meaning and some people get purpose and meaning from spending hundreds of hours you know phoning people to vote for democrats other people get purpose and meaning playing chess other people get purpose and meaning making as much money as possible other people get transcendental purpose and meaning trying to have as you know much uh, promiscuous sex as, as possible other people get meaning from trying to save the planet from global warming 
but whoever you are, you can't live without some kind of eternal transcendental hero system that uh, gives your life significance. Anything you want to say, David? Yeah, I think the practical, like intelligence is being able to navigate the system to get what you want. So, you know, some sort of meaning, like you're part of something greater, uh, but you know, what does it mean to win? And in politics, if it's, you know, you're seeing like the culture wars, it, it's kind of fake versus uh, like saying like, no, I know this candidate and if they win, it's going to be good for me. And, uh, you know, there's elections everywhere. Uh, you know, I think in like at the downtown synagogue, um, you know, I, I didn't run, I don't really like elections, but my buddy who was, you know, more orthodox and wanted a minion ran and lost. And, you know, elections have consequences. And, uh, you know, the liberals won the synagogue elections and canceled Dominion and, and uh, you know, turned it into a you know, progressive social justice a synagogue largely through winning elections. And even, like, you know, the local synagogue board uh, presidents, there's elections all over the place, and they all have minor um, consequences. And, and uh, you know, so generally... Um, like I consider myself a technocrat and understanding rules, understanding how to navigate the system. I don't like politics because it comes down to uh, you're basically winning popularity contest. And maybe I was never very popular, so uh, you know, I always lost when it came down to popularity contest. And I look at it as disingenuous and I hate the whole you'll make yourself look good, uh, and paint yourself as altruistic when you're clearly not. Um, so, you know, that's generally why I, I don't follow politics, but, but I do think policy and understanding how things work and to navigate it to achieve your ends, uh, you know, even if it's something meaningless, like say, you know, like relatively, uh, you're trying to obtain promiscuous sex, uh, you know, used to, you could fill up a stadium of people with uh, boring stories about their sexual conquest. And in a certain, you know, you get older. Um, you know, maybe there's some ground for it, but it really did, you know, did it really uh, accomplish anything for you? And, and you think, like, okay, the Orthodox Jews, uh, you know, they have their family, the big family, their legacy, uh, the community. Um, that probably means more, you know, at the end of the day than, uh, you, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, prideful or, uh, you know, these fake uh, meaningless accomplishments. Right, so you despise popularity contests because that's part of your hero system. That makes your life more meaningful, gives it more transcendental uh, purpose because you feel like you see through the, the nonsense of popularity contests while other people get their meaning in life through popularity contests. So if you, were, if you had a life history of being you know, in the top 1% of the most popular people around, you would in all likelihood strongly believe in the you know wonderful transcendental quality of popularity contest but because you and i have not enjoyed that sort of elite status you know we choose other things to give our lives meaning and we subscribe to hero systems that uh, kind of despise popularity contests is that fair yeah i'm almost i'm like a, a hater uh but yeah i, I guess i am i i, I avoid it uh i I uh, disassociate. So I, I might try not to have hate in my heart or you know, take that negative, but uh, you know, just disassociate and say, like, it's not for me. And uh, you know, that's why I told somebody 
uh, you know, like he said, he was going to teach this guy a lesson. And so I'm not a teach, teach someone a lesson kind of guy. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. You know, the world's a big place. Um, I don't want to get caught up in, uh, you know, conflict and trying to teach people lessons. I'll just take my business elsewhere. And, uh, you know, if you're in popularity contest, there might be, you know, it's a different hero structure that, uh, you know, life is short. So I've just avoided that. Uh, you know, maybe uh, I think I ran for third grade, you know, like class, uh, you know, class office and lost. And uh, and I ran another time in university and lost and, you know, just had bad experience. Uh, but I've had it, you know, like I said, make myself useful through understanding power structures, being able to navigate it. Uh, you're saying, like, I'll be useful to whoever wins the popularity contest and is in power. And if I can't get around uh, along with the people in power, uh, like, God forbid, like, I, I spent five years of my life at the downtown synagogue and a new regime came in and, uh, you know, they, they didn't like me so much. So I just, uh, you, you know, took my business elsewhere and, uh, you know, it's really all you could do. You know, right. make, make the best decision. Right. If, if I developed a life where I became incredibly useful to people in power, I would make, you know, being connected to people in power a key part of my hero system. This is why you know, I'm such a transcendentally important person, because I am important to people who wield power. On the other hand, if I didn't have any connections to people in power and all my attempts to influence people in power were rebuffed, then I'd make it a key part of my hero system to despise the people in power because, you know, they can't handle the, the tough truths which I'm able to, to see. So we're all going to develop self-justifying uh, hero systems that uh, make us the hero of our own story and and try to continually stave away insignificance. Uh, the, the reality of life is to continually remind you of your own insignificance and to try to you know, hold that, that painful reality at bay, we, we develop all these elaborate, you know, constantly changing hero systems to try to feel significant. Uh, I think I'm going to move towards uh, wrapping up today's show, David. So feel free to respond. Feel free to share any final words. Yeah, I mentioned that guy, Andrew Wilson from the Crucible in uh, you, you know, uh, uh, Western, Western Michigan. And I saw his wife was on Tucker Carlson. Um, at the beginning of the month, talking about homeschooling, he's been doing regular debates, getting uh, he's opening up Comfy TV, his own streaming service. And uh, you know, he had a debate with Destiny and he's kind of like a born again Christian about pickup artistry. And they were talking about, uh, you know, pornography uh, causing people to want things that they, you know, they really can't have and, uh, you know, cause these issues. So, uh, yeah, I think you know, maybe you think about if it's interesting to uh, talk about more this kind of you know politics and understanding the question of evil and why uh, you know the apparently evil prosper and the righteous suffer in terms of well you know what do I really want out of life? How am I going to get that? And how does it influence me that I see other people that apparently don't deserve things and appear to be achieving them, or me and myself or the people that I'm backing? or like that appear to be working really hard and uh, failing. And, you know, that statement, the, you know, Satmar Chassid used to tell me intelligence, your definition of intelligence is being able to get what you want. And, uh, you know, so it has some realistic level, some perspective of, you know, saying, I don't know why there's people out there that appear to be achieving what I want. And, 
why I can't get what I want and you know then understanding well is it possible that I could uh, understand these rules better you know, like the free energy principle predictive mind to uh, navigate the systems to uh, you know actually uh, you know, achieve our achieve our goals so you appreciate the talk uh, blessings okay thanks thanks David I, I like what my father said uh, the problem is not that life isn't fair the problem is that life isn't perfectly fair so yeah generally speaking uh, the evil do do run into some problems and uh, generally speaking all things being equal uh, the good get many rewards and, and it's not like there isn't any fairness in how the world works the the challenge is that the way the world works isn't perfectly fair bye bye